Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk to you today about joy, but not just any old kind of joy. I'm going to talk to you about joy no matter what. As I said, I wanted you to go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. The book of Philippians is a really short book. It's only about four chapters. You could probably sit down and read the whole book in just about 15 or 20 minutes. So if you want to impress somebody and say, I read a book today. You can sit down, read through the book of Philippians. And even though it's a short book, only four chapters, you find the word joy or rejoice 16 times. That's an average of four times per chapter that Paul talks about joy or talks about rejoicing. Now, the irony of this, that even though the clear theme of the book of Philippians is joy, the irony of this is the circumstances that Paul is writing this book from. Matter of fact, Paul is writing as a prisoner from a Roman jail. Now, when I talk about a jail or a prison, we sometimes automatically go to what we think here in our nation about what a jail or a prison's like. Not that by any means are they nice and comfortable, but for the apostle Paul, what he would have been in would have been nothing more than a big hole in the ground, a dungeon that was very dark and damp and dank. And not only is he in this Roman prison, but he is also chained to a Roman guard. And about every six hours, there would be a shift change and a new guard would be chained to him. And then on top of that, he is awaiting trial before Caesar. And he knows that depending on how this trial goes, that it could cost him his life. There's a slim chance that he will live, but then there is overwhelming odds that he is going to be found guilty and that he's going to die, that he's going to be executed. And out of those circumstances, he writes this book called Philippians, and the theme of the book is joy. And, and listen to what he says as we very quickly get into this book of verse 3, chapter 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, I thank my God. Now, let me ask you this. I, I can just speak for myself. I can't speak for you. But if this were me, and I was in a Roman prison, chained to a guard, and I thought that my life was about to end, I'm probably not going to start my letter to these people saying, I thank my God. I'm probably going to start something like this. Help! Get me out of here. It's dark in here. These guards stink. But not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, I thank my God. How, how can you have that kind of gratitude? How can you have that kind of joy in the midst of those kinds of circumstances? Joy no matter what. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. And then he says this. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 
In other words, every time the Apostle Paul thought about these Philippians, and, and understand, Philippi was the very first church that Paul ever planted. So they were dear to his heart. It, it was a church that he planted on his second missionary journey. It's the first church that he's planted there in, in the continent of Europe. And so these people are very dear to him. They're very precious to, to them. So every time he thinks about them, they bring joy to his heart. Let me ask you something this morning. Is there someone that every time you think about them, they bring joy to your heart? Like grandchildren. Somebody say amen to that one right there. Hey, hey, I have joy when I think about my children. I have joy when I think about my spouse. And, and, and I think, but how many of you know that, that ain't nothing like grandchildren? And when you think about them, they bring joy. And Paul said that every time I think about these believers in Philippi, he said, and I pray for them. He said, I always pray with joy. And he said, here's why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, from the time that I planted you until now, you have partnered with me in the advancement of the gospel. And may I just say right here, that was the most important thing to the apostle Paul is that the gospel was preached, that Christ was being preached. And so he said, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, everybody say in you. How many of you know that the spirit of the Lord is working in you as a believer? And he said that I'm confident, Paul said, I'm confident that he, God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Is there anybody here this morning that ever wonders if God's work is ever going to get done in your life? That's why I talk about favor so much. That's why I talk about grace so much. You see, God has a desire. God wants to get us from where we are to where it is that he wants to take us. And in order for us to get from where we are to where God is taking us, we need his favor. And we need his grace. And let me tell you why. Because along the way, you're going to have some bad days. You're, you're going to face some obstacles. You're going to come up against some adverse circumstances. I'm telling you. You are going to have some bad days. Some of you are like, Pastor, come on. Talking about joy today. Be a little bit more positive. Okay, I'm positive that you're going to have some bad days. <laughs> and that you need the favor. And you need the grace of God. But here's what Paul said. Paul said, I'm confident that he who began that work, it could be a dream that God put in your heart. It could be a vision that God's given you like the Apostle Paul to want to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to Rome. He said, I'm confident that what God started in you, that he's going to continue it until he's finished. But along the way, you're going you're to you're experience some tough times. But Paul said here in the book of Philippians, he said, I want to show you how that no matter how tough your times get, you can still have joy. Now, before we look at those principles that Paul would give us, I think it's important that I give you a few differences between happiness and joy. Because when I talk about joy, that's the first thing that a lot of you think about. You think about happiness. You think about being happy. You think about the world's view of joy. 
So, so it's important that we know the difference between happiness and joy. And the differences are striking. For, first of all, look at this. Happiness is external. We'll talk a little bit more about this here in just a few moments. But, but, but it's external. If the weather's good, I'm happy. If the weather's bad, I'm not happy. Because that's what happiness is based on. It, it's, it's external. But that's not the case with joy. Joy is internal. Joy is an inside job that can only be done through the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I'm going to share with you here in just a moment that there is no way that you can ever experience the kind of joy that I'm talking about today until you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Because joy is not just an emotion or a feeling. Joy is a person. And his name is Jesus. But, but joy is, or happiness is external, but joy is internal. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, therefore, we are not going to lose heart. He, yeah, I've had some bad days. He said, yeah, I've, I've faced some real opposition. And yes, there's been a lot of obstacles in my way. But he said, we're not even thinking about quitting. We're not even thinking about throwing in the towel. We're not even thinking about giving up. We do not lose heart. And then he says, though outwardly we are wasting away. It doesn't matter how much we exercise. Now, I'm not saying that exercise is not important, and neither is Paul saying that. But it doesn't matter how much we exercise. It doesn't matter how healthy we eat, and we should eat healthy, and we should exercise if we want a good quality of life here on this earth. But no matter what we do, outwardly we are still wasting away. But Paul said this, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And then he makes this statement. He said, for our light and momentary troubles. Really, Paul? That's not what you told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, or that's not what it appears to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when you said five times I received 39 stripes on my back. And three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. He said, once I was pelted with stones. He said, I spent a night and a day out in the open sea. He said, everywhere I went, I was in danger. I mean, think about all that the apostle Paul went through. And he says, it was light and momentary. Why? Because he had proper perspective. He said, these light and momentary troubles that are only temporary, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He said it like this in the book of Romans. He said that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so it's like he goes to the balance of the scales and on this side he puts all of his troubles. And on this side he puts over here what those troubles have produced in him. And he said that the glory far outweighs the trouble. That the glory far outweighs the suffering. And then he goes on and says this in verse 18. He said, so we're going to fix our eyes. We're going to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because you see, if you're allowing how you feel on the inside to be determined by what's going on on the outside, you're in trouble. 
So he said that we're going we're, we're to focus not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is only temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so Paul said, I've chosen, like Peter chose, to anchor his hope in Jesus and anchor his hope in heaven. Paul said, I've done the same thing with joy, because it's important what our joy is anchored to. If your joy is anchored to external things, then, then you're going to have some good days, but you're going to have a lot of bad days. You're going to have some happy days, but you're going to have a lot of sad days. You're going to have some days that, that, that maybe you feel a, a touch of joy, but you're not going to have any days where you have the real joy of the Lord. And he said, we're going to fix our eyes on what is unseen. We're going to anchor our joy in Christ. We're going to anchor our joy in what's to come after this life. So happiness is external. Joy is internal. But here's another thing we need to know. That is that happiness happens by chance. That's really what the word, the origin of the word means. It means by luck or good fortune. And, and, and the problem with that is you and I have nothing to do with it. You know that we're happy because something good happened. That, something, that, that when something good does happen, we say, well, I had good fortune. That, that's the world's view of happiness. But, but even though happiness happens by chance, joy happens by choice. Yeah. You've got to choose joy. Look at your neighbor and say, choose joy. You've got to pursue joy. You've got to chase down joy because joy can be elusive. So, so whereas happiness happens by chance, joy happens by choice. This, this is why the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because no matter what's going on in your life, you've got to choose to face it with joy. He, he said it like this to the Thessalonians in chapter five of 1 Thessalonians. He said, rejoice always. So you see, it's not just a choice, it's also a command. It is an imperative for us as followers of Christ that we rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? A bit of God's will for your life is no matter what your circumstances, rejoice always. Have an attitude of joy. One more thing, difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on circumstances. It's a little similar to what we talked about earlier, that it is external. Some, let, let me just say this to you right now. Don't let what you can't control, control you. Let, let, let me say it this way. Stop letting what you can't control, control you. Choose joy. Choose joy. Look at what the word of the Lord says. It says that, that, that happiness, even though it's based on circumstance, joy is based on Christ. Listen to what Jesus said here in John chapter 15. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy 
Oh, we're not talking about the joy the world gives. We're talking about Jesus' joy. How many of you know there's a difference in Jesus' joy and the joy of the world? The joy of the world is temporary. The joy of the world is based on circumstances. The joy of the world is based on whether my circumstances are favorable or unfavorable. But the joy of the Lord, notice, the joy of the Lord remains in you. Nothing will be able to take away your joy. Nothing will be able to steal your joy. Rona can't have my joy joy. COVID-19 cannot have my joy. Cancer cannot have my joy. Death cannot have my joy. No, nothing can take my joy if my joy is the joy of the Lord. He said, he said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. How many of you know the enemy tries to steal our joy? Every day. Like yesterday when I'm sitting in my office and I get a text that lightning has hit our main water supply out here and water is going everywhere. And it's Saturday. And who are we going to get out here on Saturday to fix a water pipe that's been hit by lightning? Have you ever heard of such? We've had sound systems around here hit by lightning. We've had air conditioning hit by lightning. Now we've had a water main hit by lightning. But you know what? Lightning can't take my joy. He may try, Satan may try to steal our joy, but he said these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And then notice what Paul said in Philippians chapter four. He says this kind of joy that I'm talking about, he said it's not something that just comes natural. You gotta learn it. And and so he said this, he said, I have learned. I mean, you know, it's the same way with patience. I need patience, Lord, and I need it now. No, patience is learned. Patience is developed over time. And how to have joy no matter what is something that you and I have to learn. And Paul said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to have joy. I've learned to have gratitude. I've learned to have peace, whatever my circumstances may be. How do you have that kind of an attitude? Three things. I want you to write them down this morning. Number one, stop asking why. We all have our why questions, don't we? Why, God? Why, God, have you allowed this to happen in my life? Why, God, did you allow me to experience this kind of loss in my life? Why, God, am I having to go through this season of sickness? We all have our why questions. I have my why questions. I have a list of them. But what I've learned to do is I'm I'm tabling those questions till I get to heaven. And I just hope and pray, I really do. I hope and pray that there's a Q and A session in heaven. (laughs) And I pray that on that panel is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Because I've got some answers that I think that only the three of them will be able to answer. I say three, three in one. We know we don't serve three different gods. But I've got questions. And I'm sure that you have questions as well. 
I shared with you just a few moments ago, I believe the reason why so many people ask the why question is because they believe this myth about God that when we become believers, when we become followers of Christ, that we're never going to have another bad day. That is a myth. God never promised you a bed of roses. God never promised you that life was going to be free of struggles and suffering and difficulty. But I'll show you what he did promise. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Boy, you don't hear many people saying, whoa, that's my verse right there. You don't see many people printing that out and magnetizing it to the refrigerator, do you? But this is a promise from God. You will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. And what that means is you're going to have some bad days. What that means is you're going to face some struggles in your life. But Jesus said that I'm going to give you the power that you need to rise above and overcome whatever trouble it is that you might face in this life. So here's, here's what Paul would say. Paul would say, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me. We're going to find out that Paul didn't allow what happened to him to determine his happiness or his joy. If anybody had the right to ask why, it's Paul the apostle. I mean, it had been his dream it, it had been the vision that God had put in his heart. He wanted so desperately to go to Rome to preach the gospel. There were millions of people in Rome that had never heard the gospel of Jesus, that have never heard Jesus preach. And it had always been his desire to go to Rome. But he wanted to go as a preacher. But instead, he ended up there as a prisoner. Matter of fact, he is falsely accused and arrested in Jerusalem. And they take him from Jerusalem down to Caesarea to stand trial. He appeals the trial there. He appeals to Caesar. And after spending two years in Caesarea, he gets on a ship to go and stand before Caesar. But as he's on his way from Caesarea to Rome, they encounter a storm and his ship is completely destroyed. This is where we get in 2 Corinthians 11 where he said, I spent a night and a day in the deep for 24 to 36 hours. He's floating around on a piece of driftwood like a bobber in the ocean. And then he finally gets to shore, he and a few of the other guys. They finally get to shore and they crawl up on the shore and they're freezing to death. And so they begin to gather some firewood to build a fire. And just before somebody lights the fire, Paul reaches over to the pile of wood and a viper jumps out of the wood pile and bites him on the hand. And do you know what he does? He just shakes it off. I'm going to tell you right now, you ain't going to see me just shake it off. You're going to see a whole lot of shaking going on, but it ain't going to just be shaking it off. He shook it off. 
and then had to spend another three months on that deserted island of Malta before they could regather and, and, and find a way to get to Rome. And then when he gets to Rome, as I said, he's put into a prison and chained to a guard. But notice what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, in spite of all of that, you'll never see where Paul asked the question, why? He never said, why, God? Why? Why? You knew it was the desire of my heart. You knew it's what I always wanted to do is to go to Rome and preach. So why, God, did you allow me to come the way that I came? And here's what he says. He says that what has happened to me, he said, has actually served to advance the gospel. Amen. In other words, here's what Paul would say to us. He would say, stop asking why and start asking what? Because in the middle of your difficulties, you need to see that God is just going to give you some new opportunities. And you need to be able to see those new opportunities. And Paul said, I may not have gotten here the way that I planned. I may not have gotten here the way that I thought it was going to happen. But hey, the way that God got me here ended up being the most effective plan. And it ended up being the most effective way to get the gospel to advance. Because here's what he would say. He would say, every six hours, I got a new audience. Every six hours, I got a new congregation. Because they're bringing me a new guard every six hours. And every six hours, I'm preaching the gospel to that guard. And he said, it's almost gotten to the place to where every guard in the palace is now a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He said, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Hallelujah. He was not in chains because he was out of the will of God. He was in chains because he was in the will of God and God was able to use his chains for his glory. Somebody give God a little praise right there. You see, you gotta be able to see that even in the bad things, God is up to something. He said, I'm in chains for Christ. He would say this later on. He would say, you might be able to chain me up and you might be able to put me behind bars, but you can't chain up the word of God. And you can't put the word of God behind bars because the word of God will continue to go forth. And then he says this, he said, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, I like that, most, not all of them, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He said, my attitude through all of this, my dedication and my commitment is inspiring other believers now to not remain silent but to be bold in declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not going to sit here and die in my whys. Do you know you can die in your whys? And Paul said, I'm not going to die in my whys. I'm going to look. God, what are you up to? God, what's your purpose? God, what's your plan? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to do in me and through me? You, you, you remember he said this in Romans chapter 8. He says, and we know. What I'm preaching to you this morning, I know it to be true. 
I've been in this a long time. I've gone through a lot of things in my life, but I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to, look at this, this is important, who have been called according to his purpose, not my purpose, not my plan, his purpose and his plan. You may have heard the story about the African king who had an assistant that went with him everywhere he went. And so the king wanted to go hunting one day and his assistant went with him and, and the king spotted a piece of prey that he wanted to shoot at. So he gave his gun to his assistant and said, here, load my gun, get my gun ready. The assistant loads his gun and the king takes it, but he doesn't realize that his assistant has accidentally misloaded the gun. And so when the king gets up to shoot at the prey, he blows his own thumb off. Now his assistant was always known for saying, this is good. This is good. No matter what was going on, this is good. And after the king's thumb had been blown off, the assistant looked at the king and said, this is good. The king said, this is not good. And he put him in prison. A year later, the king's back out on another hunting trip. This time, he gets captured by a tribe of cannibals. The cannibals tie him to a stake, and just as they are getting ready to light the fire to cook him in order to eat him, they notice that he's missing a thumb. And cannibals are very superstitious. They won't eat anything that isn't whole. So they untied the king and freed him to go back to his village. And when he goes back to his village, the first thing he does is he goes to that prison and he lets his assistant out, tells him what had happened and the assistant says, this is good. <laughs> and the king said, this is not good. You've, you've lost a year of your life because of me in prison. He said, no, this is good. Because if I hadn't been in prison, I would have been with you and I have both my thumbs. <laughs> All things, God works for the good. Can we see the good in it? This is good. And Paul could say, yes, I'm in a prison, I'm in chains, but this is good because it's serving to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he would say, stop asking why. Start asking what, and then the final thing is he would say, refocus on what really matters. Because all that really mattered to the Apostle Paul, and you know what's really important to somebody when they've come to the end of their life. And the important thing to the Apostle Paul was that Christ was preached, that the gospel would be advanced, that Christ would be glorified and magnified. And so notice, notice what he says in verse 15. He said, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. He said, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. They're just preaching Christ. They're preaching the gospel. Yes, they're, they're preaching that, but, but they have wrong motives. They're in it for what they themselves can get out of it. And he said, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. 
But what does it matter? I love that. Paul said, I ain't going to let my tail feathers get all ruffled because they some doing it for the right reason and some doing it for the wrong reason. He said, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. And then he goes on and he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And he doesn't necessarily mean deliverance out of prison and his life being saved. He didn't know how he was going to be delivered. He didn't know if he was going to be delivered out of or if he was going to be delivered into. But notice, he said it's going to turn out for my deliverance I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage in other words that even though they threaten me with death that God will continue to give me the courage to boldly preach the gospel and to boldly preach Christ so that now as always Christ will be exalted that's the most important thing in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ but to die is gain in other words Paul would say the reason that I can keep my joy even in the most difficult time of my life when I am facing certain death and execution is because I know Christ and if I know Christ then I know that it's a win-win situation I ain't gonna lose with the stuff I use is what Paul would say he said for me to live is Christ but to die is gain so I win either way I win and that helped his joy a few weeks ago you guys know my dad passed away I've seen God move in my dad's body in the past I've seen God do miracles in his body Several years ago, dad was diagnosed with stage 3B, right, right on the cusp of stage 4 colon cancer. And at that time, the doctors didn't give us a very good report. A few years, maybe, at the most. But God intervened in dad's life and healed him. Completely healed him of cancer. That's right there on the doctor's report. No cancer in your body. And then you guys know a few weeks ago, he got up on a Thursday morning, had a massive stroke. Still breathing when they left the house with him, got him to the hospital. He, he lived for about 24 hours. So what I had to do is I had to go to the Lord and I said, listen, Lord, I know what you've done in the past and I trust you today. I trust you, God, that you will make the right call. That you know what's best for my dad. And the Holy Spirit quickened a passage of Scripture to me that gave me such comfort. And it's what Paul said here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. And again, this is when he is facing certain death and execution. He said that the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Wait a minute now, Paul, which is it? Is he going to deliver you from every evil work? 
Or is, is he going to bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom? Because we've seen it all. Both of us, we've seen both of them. We've seen God deliver, just like with my dad. I saw God deliver, heal him of cancer. But then I've also, a few weeks ago, saw him bring dad safely into his heavenly kingdom. So again, Paul would say, it's a win-win. It's a win-win situation. Because sometimes he delivers out of and other times he delivers into. God, are you going to deliver? Are you going to rescue from every evil attack? Or are you going to bring me safely into your heavenly kingdom? And God would say, yes. Because you see, sometimes he does. And then at other times, he does. It's win-win. There's no way you can lose when you know Christ. Is there anybody here this morning that's ever heard of a gentleman by the name of Horatio Spafford? You ever heard of Horatio Spafford? There's usually one or two. When I mention that name, <coughs> that knows who he is. In 1871, the Lord had blessed Horatio Spafford, had a beautiful wife, five children, and he was a very successful lawyer and attorney in Chicago and had several different businesses that the Lord had blessed him with. In 1871, his little four-year-old son contracted pneumonia and died. That same year, 1871, was the year of the great fire in Chicago that ended up destroying all of Horatio's businesses. He and his family were devastated. And in order to just try to find some bearing in all of this, he scheduled a trip for him and his family to go from United States to Europe. But at the last minute, Horatio got a call about some business that he needed to take care of. And so he told his wife and his four girls, you guys go ahead and get on the ship, go to Europe, and then in a few days, I'll catch the ship and I'll catch up with you there. So his wife and his four daughters get on the ship. And about midway on that journey, their ship collided with another ship. And in just a matter of moments, the ship that had the wife and four daughters of Horatio had completely submerged. And over 200 people died, including Horatio's four daughters. His wife miraculously survived, brought her on a little lifeboat, later put her on a bigger ship, and she got to Europe. And when she got there, she sent a message back to Horatio saying, saved alone. Because she's the only one of the family that survived. Well, Horatio immediately goes and gets on a ship to go to Europe to meet up with his wife. And it just happens to be the same captain of that boat that had taken his wife and daughters. And when they got out to that particular place where those ships, ships had collided, the captain came down to Horatio and said, Horatio, in just a few minutes, we're, we're going to be going almost right over that spot where your four daughters now lie entombed in that sea. He said, if, if you want, he said, we can stop for just a moment and give you a minute. And Horatio said, that'd be great if you could do that for me. 
And so they got to that spot and Horatio walked over to the rail of that ship. He looked over into the sea where his, somewhere down on the bottom of that ocean lied his daughter's bodies. But just a few minutes after that, and before they arrived in Europe, Horatio sat down and he began to write these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. See, here's what he was saying. He was saying, when peace like a river attends my way, when things are good, when sorrows like sea billows roll, when things are chaotic, when things are bad, Here's what he said, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Because you see, when you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, You might be able to lose a lot of things, but you cannot lose your joy. He is your joy. And even in the most difficult times of your life, you can say, it is well. It is well with my soul because my joy is not determined by my circumstances. My joy is based on my relationship to Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? It is well. Sing it with me. It is well with my soul. again. Isn't it amazing that here we are 150 years later and we're still singing those words because one man determined my circumstances don't determine my joy. Christ and Christ alone. And listen, if you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, please. 
But if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I don't know that kind of joy because I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior. And today I want to invite you to accept Jesus Christ. I want you to let him come in and begin to establish his kingdom in your heart today. But in order for him to be able to establish his kingdom, you've got to allow him to be the king of your heart. You've got to allow him to be the ruler, the master. You've got to let him call the shots in your life. And when you do, he begins to establish his kingdom on the inside of you. And the Bible says that the marks of his kingdom are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I guess what I'm trying to say to you today is if you want joy, lasting joy, everlasting joy, joy that remains, then you need Jesus. So if you're in this room here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but you would say today, Pastor, I need that kind of joy. I need Jesus in my life today. Would you just lift up your hand? Just want to know if there's anybody here this morning that would say today, I need that kind of joy that you've talked about today. Joy, no matter what. Anybody in this room today? Father, I thank you this morning. My hope and my prayer is that every person in this room today knows you. But if they don't, Lord, I just pray that the quietness of their life, that in a moment when they feel inclined to do so, that as your Holy Spirit leads and guides, that they will repent of their sins. They will ask your forgiveness and ask you to become their Lord, their master, their savior. That they would believe in their heart that you are the son of God. That you came to this earth and lived a perfect sinless life that you died on the cross so that they would no longer have to remain separated from God by their sins, but that their sins could be removed so that they could have that relationship with God the Father, that there is no barrier, that there is nothing no longer in the way of them having that relationship with you, Lord, and that they believe that you died for their sins. They believe that you rose again and that you are alive today. And that whoever calls on your name will be saved. And then, Lord, I pray for every believer in this room here today. God, we all go through tough times. We all have bad days. Many times our circumstances are unfavorable. But that doesn't mean that your favor has left us. It's your favor that gets us through. Your grace that gets us through. Your joy and your peace that gets us through. So Lord, I pray right now for every believer in the house that they would be overtaken by joy. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's thank God for the word today. Let's thank God for joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. 
and we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.